Hello everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, building a mass notification ecosystem that reaches everyone during an emergency, sponsored by Single Wire Software. This is Barry Botino, an associate editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be moderating today's presentation. Thank you all for joining us. And on behalf of the National Safety Council, whose employees are currently working away from the office, we hope that you, your loved ones, and all the people in your lives are remaining safe and healthy wherever they are. We'll start the presentation in a couple of minutes, but first, there are some housekeeping items that I'd like to share with you. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean that the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session with our speakers. To ask a question, just click that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and press the send button. Please feel free to ask your question at any time at all during the presentation. You do not have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible today, but we might not get to every question. The good news is that any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll also receive a link in our post-event email. With that, let's introduce our speaker. With us today is Pat Sheckle, Executive Vice President of Product Management and Marketing at SingleWire Software. Pat has more than 15 years of experience and has spent the last 10 years at SingleWire, helping organizations across a wide range of in industries navigate challenges and implement tools that enhance safety and communication. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation. And Pat, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, thank you, Barry. This is Pat Sheckle with SingleWire, and I'm joined today uh, by Drew Dethridge from Crux, a safety consulting firm, and he'll tell you a little bit about his business here in a moment. But we've worked with uh, Drew and his team in the past, and it may have been a bit of a surprise because this probably was not in the invite, but I think you'll be very happy with what Drew has to add to today's conversation about building out an ecosystem for mass notification. So this is what we plan on covering today, really talking about why you want to implement a mass notification ecosystem. We'll talk about some design considerations that fit various use cases, why you would want to use panic buttons, overhead paging, digital signage, tying into physical access control and so forth. And we'll talk a little bit about product, about how SingleWire, uh, our product in Formacast and about how Crux fit in. Um, but for the most part, we're gonna keep this uh, above the product level and really talk about use cases and design considerations. A brief bit of background in terms of who is SingleWire Software. We are a firm located in Madison, Wisconsin. We have created a platform called Informacast. There are a few different flavors of it. We're really gonna be talking about Informacast Fusion, which is a hybrid cloud architecture today and allows us to send text, audio, and images to a wide variety of devices. It's a mass notification platform. We have about 110 employees in the company and we serve about 7,000 customers in more than 50 countries. So with that, I'm gonna to toss the ball over to Drew to introduce himself and Crux. Thank you, Pat. Uh, so I'm Drew Dethridge. I'm the vice president here at Crux Consulting. Uh, we're based here in Texas and we serve clients all over the country. So we really focus on two things here. We focus on uh, technologies and techniques that allow people to stay connected both to information and to other people. And then the other part of that is uh, the safety side, the protection. So we focus a lot on uh, how to protect your, your people, how to protect your assets. So those two themes that connect and the protect are, are, are really represent everything we do uh, in that built environment. So today we kind of want to focus a, a little bit on our consulting side. Uh, clients are often overwhelmed by all the choices they have 
and, they, and we, we don't lack information. We have too much information and we spend a lot of time helping clients kind of sort through the data in order to make good decisions about what to implement and how to implement it. All right, great, thanks Drew. Drew, what, what would you say is top of mind for customers that are approaching you today? What are the two or three most important things that are on their care about list? Well, the last two engagements we picked up, uh, the, the client called and said, hey, we sent out a survey to our employees and we were a little shocked because the input we got back from our frontline employees or they don't feel like they're prepared to know what to do in an emergency. And those emergencies were, you know, in Texas, we have a lot of severe weather. Uh, the second secondary thought was health, of course, in the, in the current pandemic crisis. And then third, you know, we still have people who are, concerned because we still have events in the world with active shooters and violence in the workplace. So say those are kind of the top three things and they're the clients coming to us with help on how do we approach this? How do we, what do we need to implement uh, from a technology and an operational perspective uh, to help our employees feel safe and confident that they know how to react in an emergency? Thank you. So what we're seeing today in terms of the use cases, both now and in the future, and some of these are more prevalent now, obviously, you know, remote worker notification and health advisory really bumped to the top of this list for what we're seeing from our customers here at SingleWire. Um, and that really has to do with the pandemic, of course. Um, some of these other things that you addressed, Drew, like active shooters, severe weather, um, those are things that we've always seen, they, they continue. In, in some regard, they're a little bit less important because not as many people in many uh, geographies are going into the physical office, but they're always gonna be there. Um, and as people return to offices, um, they'll become more important, uh, just like they were pre-pandemic. Just a little bit about Informacast and how we work, because it really ties into the overall theme and, uh, of what we're talking about today, which is building a mass notification ecosystem it's something that, that we started doing over 15 years ago when we developed the patent for the IP speaker, um, which is broadcasting audio to a speaker that has a network card in it, power over ethernet IP speaker. And you see those represented on the top right there. That was really the first kind of ecosystem thing that, that we looked at. But what th we call this our any to any slide. And, and really what this helps represent are the things that we can trigger from on the left the things that we can send to on the right. And the key thing about all of this, about most of this, is that we don't make all these things. We're, we're helping organizations leverage what they've already invested in. So broadcasting to desk phones, broadcasting to existing overhead paging, sending to digital signage, locking doors through the physical security system you already have, and so on. So it's, it's those integration points and really helping you get a, a better use case in the end a more effective notification by building out that ecosystem. So that's really what we're focusing on in today's webinar is how to build, how and why to build out that ecosystem. You can see there are some things we tie into on the inbound side as well, such as automated weather from the National Weather Service, early earthquake detection, which we'll talk a bit more about uh, here in a few minutes, gunshot detection and so forth. So let's talk about a few design considerations. This is kind of bringing, this is another way to look at, uh, at that ecosystem. So we talked about the categories, but these are some of the actual companies and brands that we deal with in some of these categories. So digital signage, which is a very fragmented market. There must be 50 vendors out there. We have two main technical ways of, of integrating with those. And really what this is about is um, you have screens that are hanging on walls, if you have an emergency, why not use those screens to help direct people to what they should do? So I guess I'll just throw this to you, Drew, and say, what have you seen in terms of digital signage? Do you, do you see customers wanting to take advantage of digital signage and, and, and how? Sure, I'd say you know, the vast majority of our clients have a lot of display devices in their organization. Uh, some of them have very formal digital signage applications that they can use to take over 
some are all and some uh, know they need it, but they haven't implemented it yet because they're they're just trying to learn about what's in the market. And you you hit the nail on the head. It's a very fragmented markets marketplace. There's a lot of data to sort through. But yes, the desire to leverage all of that, all those displays that you already have, you know, under your roof to to make that part of your mass notification system we we hear that i'd say at least 70% of the time our clients are very interested in pursuing that and that, and if with our newer uh, less expensive ip based uh, digital signage players and all that that's becoming more realistic to to implement that yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, when you're talking about like the digital signage, it used to be a, a, a really big expenditure. And now, you know, players, um, just like in the home market, you see, you know, Roku is essentially a, right. a, digital, a digital media player. Um, and of course, there's a software layer on top, usually a cloud-based service these days, as opposed to in the past, it was a server thing that someone had to install. So the accessibility is, is there. And so I think we see the proliferation of that and we see people using it in different ways. We have customers that are using it for wayfinding. So if you have mm -hmm. an intruder alert, you need to direct people to exits, for example, uh, you know, you can flash that up and you can give people routes out. Um, so right. each team would be displaying something different in that case. You know, in the, in the science shows too, we get better cooperation from people when they hear a message and see a message, right? If we're using mixed delivery formats, we can usually get better response from the humans that are being bombarded with that messaging. Yeah, you know, you just you just hit on a key point, and that's establishing the, the legitimacy of the message. Right. And there's been a lot of academic research that's been done on this, some of it published in the Journal of Homeland Security and some of it in other places. But what it shows is that if people just hear like the old state, the, they did it um, side by side experiments on fire alarms. So the fire alarm goes off and it was just the, the typical ant eh, eh sound. Right. And they have, the, they have the control group sitting there in the break room and they're like eating and playing cards and they're just looking at each other. Like, should we get up? Should we? You know, and, they, and they stayed, you know, up to 10 minutes. Right. And then they have, they have uh, audible alerting where there's a, a human voice comes over the speaker mm -hmm. and says, this is not a drill. There is a fire in the building and people get up right away and walk out. Right. right. So it's just adding audio, uh, spoken audio is, is more effective. It's more intrusive. Adding multiple layers or channels of notification adds right. to the legitimacy of the message and people are more likely to take the desired action. Absolutely. Talk about uh, audio. So audio is very intrusive. And, and again, you know, we, talk about the fire alarm example if you had a fire in your building no one would expect that the only notification you would get would be a text message right yet for many organizations if they have an active intruder uh, or even severe weather alert they might not have more than that right all they might have is the fire alarm um, and maybe a text message system and that's why we believe that intrusive audio, especially spoken audio, giving people instructions on what they should do is so important. And that's really how we started. We were asked to build our software um, back in late 2001 after 9-11. And there was a Homeland Security mandate that came out that said that all federal buildings need to be evacuated within 15 minutes of an emergency. And there was a federal agency that was built their buildings were built in the 1930s. They had an overhead paging system. They had no real way to comply with that mandate but they had a new phone system, an IP phone system, one of the you know, early ones at the time, 4,200 phones. And they said, can you send audio? Could you write audio uh, broadcasts that would send those to the phones, not call them, but broadcast, take over those phones and broadcast out the speakers of those phones. And we did, and that was the very first version of Informacast almost 20 years ago now. So that's how we started out is by sending intrusive audio to phone handsets. Um, the first one was with Cisco Systems. We've expanded since then. We then did it for, for uh, PCs. So what we call our Informacast desktop notifier, sending audio out the speakers of the laptop, as well as popping up a window to the front of all the windows and then sending to 
existing overhead paging and, and then IP speakers, which I mentioned, we, we patented that um, quite a while ago now. And the, and the idea there again is just to, to really take over and, and take advantage of you know, what people have. So I'd, I'd throw this back to you again, Drew, and just say, you know, what have you experienced as it relates to audio coming out other devices? Well, IP has changed the whole space for paging and intercom systems. We, we don't even design analog stuff anymore. Uh, what's really nice about it too, is we can take an existing analog system and change out the head in for an IP enabled head in and now exchanging messaging with platforms uh, such as single wire are, are so much simpler and we are, we allow the client to not have to rip that out and to, to replace all of that equipment when we can make some tweaks to the head end and try to uh, leverage the investment they've already made in, in communication. Yeah, that's, that's our experience as well. So let's talk a little bit about panic buttons because these are, these, this is a really popular use case that we see people coming to us for and, and the exact use case, of course, is gonna differ by industry and, and, and even by organization, but there are some commonalities. We see people wanting to give this capability to frontline workers. So the people that are at a reception area, for example. So someone comes in off the street and they're agitated um, and, and the person at the desk senses that something isn't quite right. They wanna give them the, the ability to ask for help. So that's where this, uh, the top left image there, the advanced network devices, that's a, an undermount uh, device, you know, discreet, can be discreetly triggered because it's mounted underneath a desk or a table. Um, we see virtual panic buttons, so the ability to, to, or mobile panic buttons, similar idea, triggering either from an app um, or triggering from uh, a lanyard, you know, you break a lanyard. And again, we don't, we don't make any of this hardware here. We do make the app, of course, that goes on the phone. But we see, we see these ecosystem partners integrating with our software as well as that of our competitors. Um, and we think it's a, it's a really key use case because it just puts that capability uh, in the hands of the frontline workers and gives them some ability to mitigate a, a dangerous situation. I'll just mention that the one on the lower left is a, a bit of a virtual panic button as well because while it is physical, what you're doing there is you're putting a line appearance on a handset. So the benefit of this is that you can trigger that panic button type response, but you don't have to buy another device. You're just using the, the, the phone that's already there. So I guess I'd, I'd ask you, Drew, like, what are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a move towards more virtual or are there still a lot of hardwired panic buttons like in the example in the top left and bottom right or what are you seeing? Well, it really depends on the application, right? For higher risk or higher risk locations like a receptionist desk, I would always opt for a physical button that is discreet. And normally we like to hardwire those because we don't really want to, we don't want there to be any doubt. And of course we would want a rigorous testing process where that button is tested on a regular basis. Uh, the, the other places we see physical buttons would be, uh, you know, the, the blue phones like in parking garages and on outdoor trails. If you have a large corporate campus, you'll see a lot of those typically. Uh, and you, you brought up a great point. I can make that physical call box uh, do any number of things when I make it intelligent. Uh, and, then the, and then we certainly like to see, especially in schools and other campus environments where there might not be a lot of technology, but there's always a phone, uh, the, the ability to add those soft buttons on, on the VoIP phone systems, that's a, that's a game changer to, to have that at your fingertips. Uh, and then last but not least, now, now we're taking those mobile panic buttons, whether they be on your phone or a lanyard, if, if we can now take the location-based technology and the virtual panic button. Now I know, now I know where you are and I know that you're in trouble and it allows me to focus my resources and my response uh, so that I can respond much, much quickly, much more quicker um, and also send the, the appropriate resources to you based on uh, what soft trigger you might've. Right, yeah, might that, have that's a key point. If, if you have a mobile panic button, you better understand where that person is. Right. from 
All right. Um, next, we'll talk a little bit about IP speakers. So uh, Drew touched on this and, and what we always say about an existing overhead paging system is that if it's, if it's working today and it's broadcasting audio the way you'd expect it to, it could be, it could be 10, 20, 30 years old, we can tie into it. So we, we can use it, we can give it some new intelligence in the sense that if you take a campus environment where you have maybe 30 buildings or maybe many more than that, we can tie into each of those and we can send one broadcast simultaneously to all of them, which in a traditional overhead paging system, you're not doing that. You're placing a call and it's going to one system at a time. So we give them some new intelligence, but the places where IP speakers make sense are where you're doing one of two things. You either have a greenfield situation, new building or addition to a building, or you have areas that aren't reached very well, or the use case dictates that you need something more than audio. So there's a number of situations like that where you go into a school or a hospital and maybe they have uh, hallway based um, systems, but they don't have anything in like a cafeteria or open area. And you want to put in not just a speaker, but uh, a sign like you see in the top right there. Um, that's an LCD or um, there are LCD and there are LED and they just, it's a different technology, but the one gives you more of a TV feel. The other one gives you more of a bright, like long distance throw capability in terms of uh, the, the visual uh, sighting. The thing about IP speakers is that they can be individually controlled. If you've ever worked with existing overhead paging systems, you know that the more zones you add, the more expensive it becomes. With IP speakers, each one is individually addressable, so you can group them however you would like. Um, each one can be in its own, its own zone if you wanted it to be. Uh, you can also control each one in terms of volume, you know, in software, so you can ratchet it up and down, and, and you can even override the volume based on a different type of message, so your day-to-day paging, um, you know, say in a healthcare environment, it, you might not want to blast people out, right? A lot of uh, organizations have uh, quiet initiatives, but if you had something really important, um, a code blue, an active shooter, a mass casualty event, et cetera, you might want to kick the volume up a notch or even two, and you have that capability, again, on a per location basis or even on a per message basis. You also have displays on a lot of models, as I mentioned. So that's going to give you a capability. You can see here they're all set to be a clock, but they will scroll the text of the message. So they will scroll across and they'll give you, they'll give you the idea of exactly what's happening. And then microphones are on many models. And the reason that matters is because you can listen in to a particular physical space. So you can do that just in terms of like the principal's office calling down and saying, hey, can you send Johnny to the office and the teacher just needs to turn towards the, the unit and say, yeah, he'll be right down because there's a microphone there. That's, that's just a you know, two-way hands-free intercom. Or you can list, if you have an issue in a particular area, you can listen in um, and you can understand more about what's going on in that space before you send help. So Drew, anything you care to say about IP speakers and, and how you see customers using them? No, you, you covered it well. Uh, the use case for IP speakers kind of speaks for itself. I can anywhere that you have a network that we can connect to your network, we can put two-way communication now um, for a lower cost. And I re we really like the displays again, being in Texas where we have a lot of uh, primary Spanish speakers. So being able to do emergency messaging in dual languages on a display is really important for us in a lot of our environments. Uh, because, you know, when people are stressed in an emergency, we don't want to be fumbling through the language barrier. We want to be very clear about what is going on and what we need you to do. So that's, that's why we really like these kind of all-in-one units that have speakers and displays and, as you mentioned, microphones. Yeah. Yeah, so what we're seeing... Um, is that there are a lot of different use cases and there are a lot of different form factors that IP speakers come in. We just have a handful of them here from a couple of different manufacturers, but there are 10 manufacturers that build IP speakers using the Informacast protocol baked into those speakers. Um, so regardless of you know, what your situation might be, two-way, two like a double-sided hallway speaker to um, a five-foot wide, foot-high, um, display model in a warehouse or in a gymnasium to outdoor to can it withstand a hose hit in high temperatures because it's in a it's in a, an intense uh, extreme manufacturing environment. 
um, there are there are models that that fit all of those needs. So now we're going to take you through a handful of customer stories and just give you an idea of some organizations that that basically brought together and built their ecosystem. And so in most of these cases, I want to stress that what they're doing is they're leveraging things that they already had. So they're in the case of this uh, SEC university, they had half a dozen different systems that they had to log into, create the message and then send in order to send a, you know, campus wide alert. And this really, this really, came out because there was a, uh, a gunman who had committed a crime on the edge of the campus and then ran through campus and they had the need to send out an alert to let all the students, staff and faculty know. When they did that, they realized that it took them between 10 and 12 minutes to get that message out. By that time, the, the, the situation was, was over. Um, and so they wanted a way to tie all of this together and you can see the numbers there. They're broadcasting to all of their IP phones, to all of their giant voice outdoor speakers that cover the common areas, the outdoor areas. They're sending 75,000 SMS messages, 80,000 emails. They're, they're posting to their, their Twitter account and they're driving people to, to look at their, their webpage. So they, up, they automatically update the, uh, the university webpage as well. So it just gives you an idea of you know, the, the distinction um, of you know, before 10 to 12 minutes, after you know, less than two minutes for it to be sent out of all those platforms and received by everyone. This one is a, a little bit uh, newer. This happened this, this spring. Um, bit of a unique use case in healthcare, but I thought it was kind of uplifting. We have a lot of bad news floating around these days with COVID, but this particular customer uh, is based in the Bronx and you know, as we all know, New York City was hit very, very hard by, by COVID. They had a lot of people on life support and on ventilators and so forth. And they, they contacted our account manager on a Friday afternoon and said, we want to play some uplifting music every time we discharge someone from the COVID unit. Uh, and they already had Informacast. So he, he helped walk them through the steps of adding a, a particular song to a message, uh, adding a trigger to that. Uh, message so that you could just hit a button on a phone and any caregiver that's in that ward could trigger it. Um, and you can see what they use. They used uh, Alicia Keys' Empire State of Mind. Um, very appropriate choice being in New York and all. And, uh, and they tweeted at her and so she retweeted it, it went a bit viral. Um, but a bit of a feel good story, you know, again, they played it anytime, you know, someone, someone overcame the virus there. Another uh, example, um, this one, this one from the West Coast, this is a, a hospital in San Francisco. And they have a wander risk ward. Uh, so people with dementia or, or uh, other, um, other conditions that cause them to wander off. Uh, and so they put bracelets on everyone, active RFID bracelets, so they can track people. And what happens is whenever someone crosses a threshold to leave, it used to be that just an alarm would go off. And that meant that a medical assistant would have to get up and go run down the hallway and then get in touch with the person and turn them around. And that, that was very time consuming one. It also really confused the, the patient, it wasn't a very kind way to treat the patient, it was a bit traumatic. And so what they did is they tied their Wander risk system, their active RFID bracelets into Informacast. So now what happens is when that patient crosses the threshold, they play uh, a broadcast in an overhead speaker, an IP speaker that's placed directly above the threshold. And it plays a recording um, that was recorded in the voice of the, the loved one of the patient. So, hey, Uncle Drew, everything's okay. Turn around, go back to your room. And um, they found that it was very effective. They had a lot less call for medical assistance to jump up and chase people down. Um, and it was just a kinder way to, you know, people complied and they, they would turn around and, and, you know, it wasn't a traumatic experience. Now, of course, there was a secondary threshold. If they crossed that, then, then someone would have to go chase them down. They didn't get to get on a city bus in San Francisco and, and leave. But, um, but that's, a, I think, an, another nice example of, of tying together technology to, to treat people better. Another, uh, another scenario here, this one also in, uh, in a hospital, but this could be anywhere. I think the, the thing that, that's key here is there was an active shooter situation, which thankfully in this case was not an actual active shooter situation. It was gunshots fired. It happened to be the 
there was a young man who drove to the, the campus parking lot uh, of this hospital system and, and took his own life. Um, and which is, is, is tragic, uh, of course. They, they heard shot, a shot fired and they didn't know what it was. So they sent out an active shooter notification. A lot of people didn't get that notification and were very upset by it. So they did a post-mortem survey to find out what happened, you know, what, and how would you like to be notified? And this is before they had our software. The interesting takeaway for me is people came back and, and responded, they want to be notified based on what they were doing at the time. So if they're walking in between buildings, you know, in the, in the skyway, they're like, I want to get on the overhead system. If they were away from campus, but driving to campus, they said, I want to get a text message. If they're at their desk, they said, I want to get a desktop pop up and, and so on. And, you know, I think the takeaway is like, that's interesting, except you don't know where you're going to be the next time this happens and just really underscores the need to have a multimodal notification system uh, and to leverage that ecosystem, you know, to tie into that overhead paging you have, to tie into that digital signage that you have, et cetera. Again, increasing the speed with which the message gets out there, the reach, so getting closer to 100% of your desired population and the intrusiveness with broadcasting via audio so that you get people complying and taking the desired action. All right, so we're going to switch gears again and talk a little bit about early earthquake warning, which really only applies to three states on the West Coast, but it is a proxy for other inbound triggers. So um, we have people using this for ammonia sensors and things like that, um, you know, sending in inbound triggers from different systems into Informacast. I thought this one was particularly interesting, though, and so I'm going to share it with you just a, a couple of quick slides. So it, it's often been thought that when an earthquake happens, there is no warning, right? For years, at least when we were growing up, right? You know, it just happens, there's no warning, like it just starts shaking, right? But now, because the USGS uh, has put sensors all up and down the West Coast, there is early warning now for earthquakes, which I think is just fascinating, right? So they, they, they have that first wave triggers the sensor, and then they can, they can give people up to 60 seconds of warning. And you say, well, 60 seconds isn't a lot. And, and it, it's not, but it's enough to do a couple key things. You might be able to get outside. You, we, have, um, we have municipalities that have this tied into the garage doors on their fire station. So they automatically go up and they can get the trucks out so they won't be buried and they can respond then to people that are in trouble, right? We wouldn't be able to do that if the earthquake destroyed the fire station, for example, or trapped the, the trucks in there. So it's, I think it's just really fascinating how this works. And just, this is through a partner of ours called Early Warning Labs that is, that is talking to the USGS sensors. They send an inbound trigger to Informacast and then we send to all of these things that, that we discussed earlier. So I, I think that's, uh, that's kind of a, an interesting one. Another, another interesting ecosystem um, capability is iPaws. And iPaws is the integrated public alert and warning system this was created by the federal government, by FEMA specifically. That's who manages it in any case. And you know, an example you might all be familiar with is an AMBER alert. That's, that's an iPaws alert. Um, and because what, what we're doing is we're essentially taking over a cell tower. Now, we or you would, as, a, as an organization, would not be sending an AMBER alert unless you're authorized to do so. But if you are a university, if you are an airport, if you are a city uh, or a county, you likely have the capability to, to do this and to take over, you, you apply to be an alerting authority um, and we're already a, an authorized provider of that. Um, and once you get your FEMA credentials, then they give you the capability to broadcast within your local area. And so the thing about this is you, know, you, you pick the states and counties that, that you're allowed to send to. You can also create a custom polygon by putting dots or even a radius on, a, on, a, um, on the map. And then you send out uh, an alert. And, and the, again, the key thing about this, you think about a university and one of the biggest problems that, that um, large universities have had is that you owe a duty of care to people that, you're, that are uh, working or going to school there, but you might not have all their cell phone numbers. So how do you reach them in an emergency? And um, the way iPods works is it takes over the cell tower. So you don't need their cell phone numbers, right? You just, if they're within range of a cell tower, doesn't matter which carrier they have, they're gonna receive the message. So this only applies to certain organizations that have the capability to do this, 
but it's a really nice tool to have. And, and again, in this case, the ecosystem happens to be the, the, the carriers and the federal government that are giving you the, you know, extending your capability of being able to send. So we're not doing a demonstration of our software here today, but we're just gonna give you a, a real quick look at a couple of screens to, to let you know how, how our customers are sending things. Um, this is what we call command center. So this is essentially the scripted capability of sending out a message. If I click on a tile, it'll give me a couple of questions to answer. And then from there, I can, uh, I can answer those questions and send out an alert that goes to, uh, to everyone that I care about through all of those different notification channels or a subgroup of them, depending on what the scenario is. The key to this is that it really just simplifies the sending experience. So we see customers that have security operations centers using this and really giving a, a very defined set of scenarios to the people that are authorized to send. And these can change based on, on, on who they are. Of course, once you sent the message, you wanna be able to monitor exactly what's going on. So there is message confirmation. Um, one that we see happening a lot these days are people asking for a daily confirmation that their staff is healthy. And you say, well, isn't that fairly obvious? But these days, you, you know, people can't do what they used to do, which is to take an, a couple of Tylenol or Advil and just soldier on, you know, and ignore the, the sore throat and the headache, right? If they're, exhibiting COVID symptoms, you want them to think twice and that you want them to stay home. So getting those, you can see what messages have been sent, how long it took for them to be sent. Uh, you can drill in and you can see message confirmation. You can follow up with people either as individuals or as a group. So for example, if you get a group responding one way and you wanna send them a follow-up message, I'm safe, I need help, I'm healthy, I have symptoms, whatever the case may be, you can send a follow-up message. And then there's managing the ongoing scenario, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but you may have noticed on an earlier slide, we had collaboration systems in there, and that's a key in terms of how you're gonna manage the ongoing scenario. Right here, we're showing desktop notifications. So we, we pop a window to the front of your Windows or Mac, and then at the same time, we're broadcasting audio out the speakers of that laptop or desktop computer. So again, just giving you another channel to send alerts to. We have a, a lot of people coming to us specifically for this today. Um, and I think it's just because more and more people are spending time in front of those devices and, and really have an urgent need for that. Talked about collaboration platforms. Um, and, you know, we were talking during our, our pre-session, um, Drew mentioned that he was on seven hours of calls one day, either on Zoom or Teams. And I think that's the life many of us are living. If you're a knowledge worker, you're spending a lot of time looking into a webcam. Uh, and so you see this just explosive growth of these different communication tools. And we've had integrations to both Cisco WebEx teams and to Microsoft teams uh, for, for some time now. And that allows us to do a couple of things. One is to send a notification into those systems and have it pop up. And if you're in that system all day, every day, then you're gonna see it. The other thing it allows us to do is you can send differentiated notifications. So send one notification to the, your population at large maybe all staff, but then another message goes to your incident response team and they can then turn from that message and they can begin dealing with the ongoing situation. So managing the scenario because so often these things are not a, a one and done type scenario. Um, speaking of collaboration uh, integration, Technip is a, they're an oil and gas services company. Um, we did this for their um, office in France, about 5,000 of their people reporting there, SMS, at least bulk SMS text messaging is somewhat, somewhat problematic in, uh, in France. There's a lot of regulations and so forth. So sending a, just a bulk test message broadcast was very difficult for them. And they were already in the process of deploying Microsoft Teams. So they said, can we send a notification to everyone and reach them on, on Teams, which of course runs not only on their laptop, but also on their mobile phones. So we did, and that was a you know, very fast way. They also have a lot of places where SMS doesn't get there very well. Um, so you think about you know, uh, um, basements of buildings or you know, interior parts of buildings, et cetera, where you have Wi-Fi, but you don't have SMS. So the carrier can't get there, but your own internal data network can, and Teams will allow you to deliver that notification either uh, over either of those methods. So 
talk a little bit about best practices and and this is just some of the stuff we pulled together and talking to um, talking to Drew and talking to other people in the industry. And it's really just about identifying use cases that are most important. You know, one of the things we get asked a lot is why do people, why does everyone not have a mass notification system or, or why is it not effective for everybody? And, and part of it is that people are concerned that they have to account for every possible scenario. And what we tell people to do is walk before you run, start with a handful of the most important uh, scenarios or use cases. And, and talk through those, tabletop those out, decide who needs to be involved, what do you want to have happen as the outcome, and then implement those into your mass notification platform. Uh, and then once you've done that, uh, you know, develop that plan and practice it. So this is really what Drew, I'm talking to really the sort of thing that, that Drew does, but I guess, Drew, I would ask you, how does something like this apply to your practice? And how does it apply to the why someone would want to have a mass notification ecosystem? Wow, those are two broad questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sure are. So as far as best practices, you, you're hitting on all the things we would uh, engage a client to, to think through. It's, in, in some cases, the technology piece is the easier part of it, right? It's, but it's figuring out how does this fit into my organization? What kinds of scenarios are my organization going to face based on the type of work or the type of uh, facility that I have. And then what, what people are gonna be involved to react to that. And so working out the scenarios, working out the messaging uh, is a very, uh, very critical step. And I'm glad you identify that right up front. Uh, and that often takes as much time as working out the technology side. You're, you know, the, the implementation team at SingleWire is pretty, uh, pretty adept at reacting to any kind of technical challenge to get stuff integrated. It's kind of the soft skills part and figuring out how does this fit into your, if you have an existing emergency operations plan, how does this affect that? Uh, and getting all of those things wrapped up. I think I answered your question. But. Yeah, yeah, you did. And, and I think we're going to, we're, we're almost done with the slides here. We want to get to uh, Q&A. We have uh, a little less than 20 minutes left for that. So I just encourage you, if, if you don't already follow us on, on your favorite social platforms, we just put that up here, encourage you to do so. Most of what we're writing about, we, we published uh, on average a couple of blog posts uh, a week, and then we, we link to them through these platforms. Most of it's not product related. Um, it's really about, uh, you know, use cases and scenarios and that sort of thing. Um, if you're not an Informacast customer and you want a free trial of our software, um, just let us know. Send, uh, send an email to sales at singlewire.com. So with that, um, uh, Barry, what questions do we have out there from our attendees today? Hey, well, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Drew, for sharing your expertise with us today. I just want to give everyone a quick reminder um, out there. If you'd like to ask a question, go ahead and click that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen type in your question and press the send button. But before we start the q and I want to let everyone else know about an evaluation survey that we'll be asking you to complete today. The survey will be open in a different screen after this webinar and your input is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. So let's get to a few of those questions, guys. And um, the first one that we had come in, Pat, was um, you mentioned that the front desk person who may be dealing with an agitated person off the street um, and may have the need to use a panic button. This person would like to know, what, what do the panic buttons do and how exactly do they work? Yeah, so good question. It, and the answer is it depends on what they want it to do. So one thing, um, one thing they might do is, is notify your safety team. I mean, that's the typical thing is, you know, whoever is responsible for safety is going to respond to that. So, you know, if you're at a university, it could be campus police, could be the security department, um, it, it just depends. Now, there, depending on the use case, you might give people the ability to notify everybody on their floor or something like that. So that's why I say, when I say it depends, it can either be just safety, a very narrow group, or depending on the size of the, or maybe there isn't any local immediate safety presence and you wanna let uh, a handful or maybe all the people that are behind you know about that. 
So it really depends on what's going on, but it's going to send out a text and audio and an image broadcast to the devices that belong to the people that you're trying to notify. Okay, great. Thank you, Pat. Um, we have a question that came in talking about two unique groups. Um, and, and this uh, person asks about how do you communicate with temporary workers and, you know, for example, also colleagues that may come from out of town offices to work in your office, let's say for a week. Um, and those folks may not have a physical desk location. How do you handle uh, emergency communications and getting them to those two groups of folks? Right. So if you have, if you have people that are temporary, we have something called a, a campaign. So they would sign up just by texting, say, hashtag alert to a number that you've provided them. And a lot of times we have people that just, that's part of their onboarding materials, or even for visitors, they put it on a placard. And when you, when you sign in at the front desk and you're given your, your temporary visitor badge or whatever, you can sign up. Um, and those can be, those can be two distinct things. You might have one, it's a one day campaign that expires every day so that when that person goes home and goes on about their business or, and something happens the next day, they're not getting one of your alerts, or you have a separate campaign that is set up for say contractors. Uh, temporary workers and so forth. So that's really, um, that's, you're going to reach them primarily on their, on their mobile phone, but it also speaks to why you want to have multi-channel notification and you want to use common building assets because there are people coming and going through your facilities to which you owe a duty of care, but you might not have their cell phone numbers and might not have any other way of getting in touch with them. So, you know, that's why fire alarms do what they do. It's why having, uh, having, the ability to send to either an existing overhead paging system to put IP speakers in and or to turn every one of your desk phones into an emergency notification speaker and broadcast audio to it. That's why that all makes sense. Okay, great. Um, one of our, our attendees today wants to know, um, does the software have an employee accountability component after a building evacuation during an emergency event? Yes, so what we encourage people to do is to set up the, the ability to send a, message, uh, uh, send a message out with what we call a confirmation request. So are you safe, do you need help? And you can see in real time as those come in, you can see the pie chart, for example, move, and then you can select and you can drill into you know, those that haven't been received yet or those that haven't responded a certain way. So yes, you do have that capability. Okay, thank you, Pat. Um, we have a couple folks asking about some, some um, uh, unique cases. Um, one person asks about manufacturing companies. And for a manufacturing company, for example, that may be really widespread, um, how effective can that, that system be? And, and can you give a, a use case example of how it would work in a manufacturing environment? Yeah, so manufacturing is... is uh, is a, is a key industry that we deal with. Um, and I think it's because for the longest time they've had notification needs, workflow notification needs, a whole variety of use cases there. Um, some include tying into the physical environment. So a line stop button that automatically sends an alert into our software. Um, eyewash stations that automatically send an alert because if someone goes to use an eyewash station, the health and safety engineer on that uh, and that plant floor should probably know about it. That part, person is probably in distress. We have people tying into the defibrillator cabinets, which isn't unique to manufacturing, but those are spread out across plant floors now as well. So someone opens that defib cabinet, they probably need help. Um, loading dock doors uh, are another one. And then we see things like, we have a lot, you know, a lot of manufacturers um, that you don't have, you don't have physical, line, from inside the plant, you don't have line of sight out to the outdoors. So it just represents how important it is that you can have an alert about severe weather. You know, there's a lot of documented cases where a tornado came through and ripped through a manufacturing plant. People had no warning of any kind. Um, so if you tie directly into the National, National Weather Service and you have that automated, that automated trigger of that alert, so no human intervention required, um, when it gets to be a tornado um, warning, then you'll have that you'll have some minutes of uh, advance notice. So there's a, a number of different use cases. You know, a lot of them also have to do with visual alerting because a lot of manufacturing environments are very noisy. So we talked about IP speakers and displays. And a lot of those not only can scroll the text across them, but they have integrated LED flashers built in. So that will strobe 
and will draw the person's attention so they will turn their head and they'll look and they can read it even if they have ear protection on and they can't hear the broadcast. So quite a few different use cases there. I just touched on some of them. I encourage you to, um, to, uh, to, to contact us and we'll give you a demonstration and talk specifically to your use cases. Okay, thank you, Pat. Um, we have another kind of a unique environment. Somebody's asking about uh, underground mines and maybe the best way to reach folks who are in a, a really unique environment. Yeah, so um, we, have, we have a number of, of mining customers um, around the world. Um, there's a, a big one in Canada that they built a touch screen just because they wanted to give the mine operators a, a number of pre so basically even before we built that command center where I had the different tiles for the alerts, they essentially built their own and tied it into a touch screen. So if they had a collapse, they could trigger one. If they had unsafe air conditions, they could trigger another uh, and so on. So you know, we, we do see um, mining uh, safety people using InformaCast. Uh, obviously communication is key. The systems on which they notify their people, that's gonna depend on the individual mine and the different communication methods they have. But as you've seen, um, when we talk about um, our capabilities, and if I go back to, um, I go back to this, the uh, any to any slide here, a lot of physical environment capabilities that we have of, of tying into things that people have, so. Barry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you, um, I, I wanted to, to kind of dovetailing into that answer uh, about that unique mining environment. Somebody asks about, um, is there an ability to um, use different color strobe lights or different sounding alarms at the same time? For example, um, this person asks about gas releases or fires or medical emergencies. Are there different ways to do that? There are. Um, so some of those IP speaker manufacturers in our ecosystem make colored strobes and you can change the, the strobe based on the priority of the message. So if you have a particular type of message, you would give it a different priority and it would flash the strobes a different color. The other thing that we can do is if you're sending to computer desktops or to your IP phones and those phones happen to be color and that there is some distinction based on manufacturer, but we'd also have the ability to, to change the color of that background. So for example, you know, code blue in a hospital could be blue. Um, you know, if you have a mass casualty event, it could be yellow and so on. Okay, thank you, Pat. Um, uh, one, of, one of our uh, attendees today asks about, um, mentions our, our staff is spread out, uh, very bi-coastal staff that, and, and everyone is working remotely in different countries. Um, he mentions that we have access to both our laptops and cell phones, and he'd like to know which route do you think would be best to notify them of COVID closures from our leadership team? Well, again, I would say both. Um, okay. The ability to do it, and, and the only reason is because you don't know where they're going to be at any given point in time, and if it's important, then having uh, multi-channel is good. If you had to pick one or the other, for, for one reason. I mean, you wouldn't with us because, you know, we licensed by users, so you would get the capability to send both. But, um, but if you had to pick one, I would say mobile because most people will have their mobile phone with them, um, whereas they might not have their desktop with them. But the desktop can be really helpful because if they're trying to concentrate on work and they have their lap or they have their, their cell phone not by them, then having that, that pop-up can be very intrusive and can really grab their attention. Okay, great. Um, we have a question about a, a company that hosts a number of events annually, and this person asks, uh, our company uh, is 70 plus employees, and we host annually dozens of events that have 10 to 500 attendees. The event locations are across the country, and typically not in the same location twice. How can we prepare emergency plans for, for events like these? What? Well, so I'll answer it really briefly from a technology perspective, and then I think I'll throw it to Drew because this is really a process question more than anything. From a technology perspective, it doesn't really matter where the people are because we can get in touch with them on their, on their mobile devices, as well as anything that, that any other technology platform that you're, that you're using at that event, like amplified sound, for example. Um, but I think it really, it really goes to more of a, uh, a process question in terms of how do you, how do you get a, 
you have to get those people signed up and um, you have to game plan for the scenarios and those might differ based on what type of event it is. But I'll, Drew, I don't want to add to that. Sure, so, you know, that event group probably prom or produces the same types of events in multiple locations. So you could sit down and kind of game plan. Well, what are the typical things that might happen? So you can go through those scenarios. So the scenarios probably won't change, but the response to those uh, situations will change based on, you know, what, what part of the country you're in and what sort of emergency response uh, capabilities are at your specific location. So you'd have to, so you could create a, a, a template, if you would, to work up a emergency action plan for each event. Um, they would follow essentially the same script uh, for the type of event you're, you're uh, producing or promoting. Uh, and then the things that would change would be, you know, the local response or the, the assets that are available in that community. So it would require some work on an event by event basis, but you could get it down to a very repeatable script. Work off of a template, sort of. Right, yeah, exactly, a, a, a good template. Okay, thank you guys, appreciate that. Um, we have someone who asks a quick question here about do you offer on-site reviews of your product? Uh, yeah, we, we sure do. Um, so that could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. We offer a free trial of our product. Um, okay. And, and we can certainly, we can demonstrate it to you virtually. We can come on site if, uh, if you're in an area that allows that um, these days. Um, used to be much more common pre-pandemic. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're more than happy to talk to you about facilitating that. Okay. Um, another question that's come in, guys, is uh, someone would like to know, are there any challenges of tying the software into an existing fire alarm system uh, such as simplex right um, so there are a couple of things about fire alarm systems in general um, and simplex is, is no different um, it has to do with fire code so we typically will not trigger inbound into a fire system like tell the fire system what to do because most codes don't uh, the codes being used by most jurisdictions don't allow that put that way. That's a, that's an NF, NFPA 72 no, no. Um, however, sending outbound. So the fire alarm sister system triggering inbound to inform a cast so that we can send a broader alert, say to people's cell phones and so forth. That's very common. Um, and that's usually done just right off of the, uh, the fire alarm control panel using what's called a dry contact relay. So that's just a, a contact. You, you put a pair of wires, like, a, like you do for your home doorbell, the old school doorbell at least. Um, and then that runs back into a little device that has that pair of wires coming in the one side and has uh, a network jack, an ethernet port coming out the other side. And we speak to that over the network. Um, and that's called, it's called machine to machine is the name of the feature. And it's, it's really common. So fire alarm is pulled we can send an alert out to any of the things that you see on the right-hand side of the screen here. Typically, it's gonna to go to the safety team, letting them know. And the reason you say, well, why would we wanna do that? Won't everyone know that the fire alarm system is going off anyway? Say, so, yeah, but on a campus basis, you know, someone pulls the fire alarm in a particular building, you might have campus safety that are out and about and they wanna know immediately that that happened in a different area. So while the fire alarm department would certainly be notified, you might have another layer of campus security uh, or safety people that might wanna know about that immediately. Okay, thank you, Pat. Um, we have time for one more question today, guys. And uh, somebody asks, when you're preparing for emergencies, is there one area that organizations can often overlook? Ooh, that's a good one. Typically what we see is, is people casting a little bit too narrow a net, not considering all of the different constituents. Um, so they get a, one use case from a particular department and they work to solve on that. Uh, and they need to have a little bit better communication and consider not just that, say, notifying people on mobile phones via text messaging, but look at some of the broader capabilities that may be required of them in future scenarios. So that, that would be my answer, but I'd like to hear, uh, we got, looks like a minute maybe, Drew, if you want to take that one too. I'd say uh, the, the biggest thing we run into uh, is not simplifying the messaging down. We need to get our messaging very simple 
and we make assumptions like, well, I, I'm telling everyone to exit the Southwest door. You're assuming that people know where the Southwest door is. So you have to kind of think through those things. Again, if, if you're alerting me that there's an emergency that I need to take quick action on, I'm going to be a little overwhelmed and the adrenaline's pumping and I may not be thinking clearly. So we need to be very specific and very simple in, in our messaging. Great. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate all of your insights today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but any of our unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers today. Again, we also hope you take the time to share your feedback through our survey. I'd like to take a moment to thank our outstanding presenter, Pat Shuckle, from our sponsor, Single Wire Software. Our guest today, Drew Dethridge from Crux Consulting, and of course, everyone who joined us today. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.